known by love. I want to be known by love. Known by love. Now, if you didn't realize it from that video, today we are talking about the fruit of kindness. And we are in part two of our sermon series called Fresh, which is all about the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians chapter five. I am currently holding in my hand two apples. Uh, one of them is real and the other is fake. Can you tell the difference? Um, today, at the end of the sermon, we certainly will together. Uh, we have been going through this sermon series and immersing ourselves in the fruit of the Spirit. And our key theme passage is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So let's read them together. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These past several weeks, we have looked at the fruit of love, joy, peace, and patience. And for these last three weeks, we're going to be going double time, okay? There'll be two fruits on some of these upcoming weeks, and today is definitely that. We're talking about kindness, but we're also talking about goodness. How many of you remember this? right? Uh, this is a picture of a VHS tape. Um, Be kind, rewind is written on it in a sticker. There are people in this world who, after having watched a VHS tape of a movie, they didn't rewind it for the next person who rented it. Okay, imagine spending 30 minutes in Blockbuster or whatever uh, video store you used to get your VHSs from. You're searching for the perfect movie to watch um, for family movie night. You finally land on one, you, you get in line, you get home, you pop your popcorn in the microwave, you put the tape in the VCR, you get your blanket, you're all comfy, and you press play, and it is the end credits. Now you've got to get out from your comfy uh, blanket, and you have to walk up to the VCR, hit stop, then rewind, and then stare awkwardly at the screen, at those three arrows pointing in reverse for the next four minutes, while you wait to restart the movie again. It was awful. So Blockbuster, and really any VHS rental store, started a movement, okay? A revival, if you will. Be kind, rewind. It changed the world, okay? I remember this. We were always the ones who made sure that we rewound those tapes, okay? Niceness is not kindness. Niceness is cosmetic. It can be fake. Sometimes we don't really mean it. How many of you have said, it was nice to see you when it definitely wasn't nice to see them? Well, we do that, right? Why? Because it's better than telling them, I didn't enjoy running into you at all, okay? Bye-bye. Um, no, uh, that's niceness. It's easier to be nice, but that isn't the same thing as being kind. Kindness demands action. The Greek word is Christos. It means fit or fit for use, useful, virtuous, good. Are you kind? Are you fit for use? Are you virtuous? Are you doing good things for others? There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament about a man named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was a royal. Okay, he came from the royal family. His grandfather was King Saul, the first king in Israel's history. His dad was Jonathan, 
son of Saul, who also was best friends with David. Saul was the appointed king of Israel. David was the future anointed king of Israel. And in one fateful battle, Saul and his son Jonathan were killed. And there was going to be a new king. And in the ancient world, whenever a new king arose, the family of the previous king was deposed of. Uh, we can't have one of their children or grandchildren rise up and claim the throne. And so in one day, Mephibosheth lost his grandfather, his father, and his royal name. And it is right after the death of King Saul and his father, Jonathan, where we read about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 4. It says this, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. When this five-year-old boy heard that his grandpa and his dad died in battle, he was rushed to safety, and in the rush, he was dropped, and he became disabled. There was no surgery in these days. A broken leg could kill someone. This five-year-old boy, all in one day, lost his grandpa, lost his dad, lost his throne, lost his home, lost his ability to walk, his ability to live a public life, all in one day. And so David becomes king after Saul. And God was with David, and God blessed David. And we don't hear anything about Mephibosheth for the next five chapters. But then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lo-Dabar. The king asked this question, Is there no one still alive from the household of Saul that I can show God's kindness to? What a beautiful phrase. The people that are supposed to be David's enemies, the people that he is supposed to get rid of because they're a threat to his throne, David was so assured of God's call in his life that he says, I want to show the kindness of God to the family of the one who tried to kill me. Here we discover that Mephibosheth is still hiding and he is living in a place called Lo-Debar. It literally means not a pasture, Okay. This is a rough area. This is not a glorious place to live. Let's continue reading. Verse 5. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from, from not a pasture, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? You see, Mephibosheth has been living the life of an invalid in Israel. He's poor, he's hiding, he's living on the wrong side of the tracks. He begins to see himself as unworthy, as worthless. He sees himself as his circumstances. And so when he sees the king, at first he's afraid. But when he, he is invited to the king's table, 
It says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He begins to see himself through the lens of his surroundings, through the lens of his trials, through the lens of his circumstances. But who we are, who you are, who God made you to be, will always be bigger than your circumstances, will always be bigger than your shortcomings and failures. You are not defined by your circumstances or your lot in life. Verse nine, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. He ate with David. He ate with David's sons. The king's table is for the elite. The king's table is for the powerful. The king's table is for the well-to-dos. Can you imagine that first dinner? All of the king's commanders, all of the king's sons are enjoying their wine, their food, their drink. They're enjoying the spoils of war in the palace in Jerusalem. And then they hear something the sound of something dragging on the floor, and there is a rhythm to it, and it's, it's getting nearer. It's moving towards them, and they all pause and wonder, what is being dragged in to the king's table? And it was the deformed feet of Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. And at first they felt threatened, but David declares, we will show kindness to him, and he will eat at my table all the days of his life. To be kind is to be intentionally loving towards someone. It takes effort and it takes intention. David showed the kindness of God to someone and it changed his life and it changed the way that he viewed his own life. You have that power as well. Your kindness to someone, your kindness to a cripple, your kindness to your neighbor, your kindness towards your enemy, has the power to change their life, and it has the power to change your own. Christos, to be useful, to be constructive, to be beneficial, kindness. To think as much of your neighbor as you do yourself. Jesus was never too busy to be kind. Jesus was never so burdened that he couldn't be interrupted. Are you? Uh, now, there is a lot I'm going to say um, today, but I'll also be sharing a lot of what other people have had to say about kindness and goodness. And there are a lot of quotes in my sermon this morning, but there will be a quote that will speak to you. It will speak to your soul, to, or it'll, it'll convict you, it'll resonate with you at some point in this sermon. So just so you know, there will be a quote that the Spirit will use in your life today. Which one? I'm not sure, but God does. So here's three. Here's my first three quotes in my sermon, Henry James said, there are three things in human life that are important. The first is to be kind. The second 
is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. Mark Twain said, kindness is the language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Larry Anderson said, if Christians would learn to be kind, there's no stopping us. I agree. Now we're nearly done and I have yet to speak of goodness, the second fruit. It is agathu sune. It means uprightness of heart and life, goodness, kindness. See, goodness and kindness are synonyms. Be good, choose right, go to church. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, many of us grew up with the phrase, uh, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. When it comes to being good, a subtle shift can happen. Being good becomes being right. Our goodness actually makes us self-righteous, the opposite of goodness. Where have all the sweet Christians gone? Do you know what I mean when I say the sweet Christians? Uh, we have some in our church, but certainly the sweet Christians have become the minority. Uh, do you understand what I mean? It's, it's those ladies that you were uh, in your church when you were growing up. Just sweet, sweet ladies that just bared the heart of Christ, the joy of the Lord. Uh, they may go up to you and just say, you know, it'll be all right. You know, pray for them. And you're like, pray for them? I want to beat them. And they're like, no, life's too short. Take your wife out to dinner instead. Go for a walk with your best friend. Enjoy life. The sweet Christians, where did they go? That sweetness, that, that kindness and that goodness is what leaves when we replace the fruit of the Spirit with thou shall nots. When we shift our focus uh, from love to rules, we have this understanding of God and a faith that if I can be good, then it's all going to work out in the end. And that is a false understanding. See, it's not about this quest to be good. The human quest for being good will always end bad. Benjamin Franklin took on this quest. And so he wrote, it was about this time that I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. I wished to live without committing any fault at any time. I would conquer all that either natural inclination, custom, or company might lead me into. As I knew, or, or thought I knew, what was right and wrong, I did not see why I might not always do the one and avoid the other. But I soon found I had undertaken a task of more difficulty than I had imagined. While my care was employed in guarding against one fault, I was often surprised by another. Habit took the advantage of inattention. Inclination was sometimes too strong for reason. I concluded at length that the mere speculative conviction that it, was our that it was our interest to be completely virtuous was not sufficient to prevent our slipping. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying that even if you set your life's goal to be perfectly good, you will fail miserably in a matter of hours. It's an impossibility. And yet, within religion, we are called to right, strive to be good. 
Strive to attain. Strive for moral perfection. And we end up in guilt. And yet, in religion, we continue to pursue that. Jesus offers a better way. The message translation of Matthew 11 says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That is so much different than striving to be good and the guilt that follows when we inevitably fail. Don't you see? Jesus rescues us from our path of constantly trying to do good. He rescues us from that and places us again on the path towards goodness, but for a completely different reason and with a completely different empowerment. It's the fruit of the Spirit because we need God's Spirit to help produce the fruit. So sorry, Ben Franklin, you can't do it alone. No one can. It's not about being good. It's about following Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, it's, life is not a burden, it's a blessing. And we become good, or at least we become gooder. Not the goodest that we'll ever be, but definitely gooder than we were. Philip Brooks wrote, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger people. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then doing good in your world shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life, which has come to you by the grace of God. This is the way to bear real fruit, not the imitation, not cosmetic fruit, but real fruit, which is which? Are you bearing cosmetic fruit or the real thing? It is when we follow Jesus, when we follow God's spirit, where fruit becomes real, not something of an imitation, not pretend. Where have all the sweet Christians gone? For some, the pursuit of being good and the pursuit of being right has taken the place of the pursuit of Jesus. But for the rest of us, where did we miss it? Where did we go wrong in our pursuit? For most of us, it wasn't the pursuit of being good or right or the pursuit of right beliefs that drifted us away from the path of Jesus. No, it was a different pursuit for most of us that led us astray. It was the pursuit of success. Let me say this clearly. The quest for success is more responsible for our character than we'd like to admit. We've made success the goal as if a succeeding life is the kind of life that we should emulate. And we put people on pedestals and try and emulate them because they appear successful. Success is not a bad thing. It's not the goal. It doesn't lead to the happiness that you are seeking. It doesn't lead to the life that bears the kind of fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We've seen successful people, but they lack that fruit. They lack that contentedness, that wholeness. It's not about success. Elizabeth Dunn did a study in UC San Diego uh, where they, one group was given $5 and the other was given $20. And, and then she said to them, you've got 17 minutes to spend it on yourself on whatever you want. Whatever you want, that whatever's going to give you the maximum amount of joy, spend it on that. And then there was uh, another group, another two groups. One was given $5 and the other was given $20. And they said, you have 17 minutes to spend it to help someone else. So after everyone was done spending their $5 and their $20, they came back and they interviewed everyone about how happy they were, what sense of joy they had. And of course, the folks who spent money on themselves, who bought themselves a Starbucks or whatever, they were quite happy with that. But the folks who gave their money away, who sought to be a blessing to others, reported significantly higher levels of happiness than the folks who spent the money on themselves. It didn't matter if it was $5 or $20, they received the same bump in happiness. Happiness is tied to kindness and goodness. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Is that the quote? Is that the quote that God's speaking to you about? What does our wallet say about our pursuits? Do we pursue success over pursuing Jesus? We pursue success and we obtain success and we wonder why we don't have the happiness that we are seeking. Happiness lies someplace deeper than our bank accounts. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist he was on a recent podcast and he noted this, that he says, I think that parents are overemphasizing success at the expense of caring and kindness. In the long run, kids who achieve the greatest successes are not the ones who faced a ton of pressure to get straight A's. And now this is interesting. It's all based on his research that they've done. They're the ones who were taught to be concerned about others and show compassion. The most successful kids when they grew up were the ones who were taught by their parents compassion, empathy, and being concerned for other people. Wow. Now, Adam and his wife, they have three children themselves. And after learning this, they decided to change the question that they asked their children every night at the dinner table. When the kids got home, they used to ask the question, so what did you do today? What did you learn today? And they began to change the question altogether. And here's the question they asked, how did you help someone today? Or uh, who did you help today? They asked that every single night. And when they, and they started asking the question, the kids were like, uh, you know, I don't really remember, okay? They didn't know how to answer it. But they kept asking the question and, they and the kids then at school began to think of ways that they could help people. And then they began to think of ways of who they can help so that they could have an answer when they came home. And over time, this became the rhythm of their lives, perhaps an unforced rhythm of grace. Because what you ask about and what you talk about shows what you value. And so the kids learned that their parents valued them helping others 
more than success. And each night they would be asked, and you know what? They became people who were kind. They became people who were good. By virtue of being intentional, of asking the right questions. So back to the way we started the sermon, which is real, which is fake. This one actually looks more perfect. It's perfectly round, it's shiny, there's no discoloration. This one has discoloration, but it's nutritious. It is what it's meant to be on the inside. Don't trick yourself into thinking and convincing yourself that the real fruit is in being correct or being right or in being good or in pursuing success. That's not where the real fruit is. The real nutrition, the things that can actually nourish you and change this world and bring about more life in this world might be a tad discolored, might be a tad dented, certainly a little bit bruised. But what's inside is what they're meant to be. The true fruit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control is found in following Jesus. It is in the pursuit of Jesus, not the pursuit of being good or the pursuit of success that leads to the good life. Bear that kind of fruit and it will certainly lead you to be good and to be kind. God, I pray in Jesus' name that goodness and kindness would be the mark of our homes, of our neighborhoods, of our workplaces, and of our relationships. May we show intentional love towards others. And may your spirit bring about true goodness that flows out of our lives into the world that so desperately needs you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. We wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we continue our part two of our fresh sermon series on the fruit of the spirit, and we can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Peace the Middle East.